Hello and welcome back to I Survived Childhood. Today I want to talk about a case that I know a lot of you are following and that is Gypsy Rose Blanchard. Um, there's been a lot of a lot of publicity on this case and um, I know a lot of you are really very interested in what has happened to her and what's going to happen to her and um, so I am going to go ahead and do an overview of the story since I know a lot of us know but maybe not everybody and then at the end of this I'm going to give you my thoughts and my opinions on this case <clears throat> before we begin I do want to let you know that this case is definitely about child abuse and um, it may be a trigger for some people so you may want to not listen to this so here we go on June 14th 2015 sheriff's deputies in Greene County Missouri found the body of Claudine Dee Dee Blanchard face down in the bedroom of her house just outside Springfield laying on the bed in a pool of blood from stab wounds inflicted several days earlier there was no sign of her daughter Gypsy Rose who according to Blanchard suffered from chronic conditions including leukemia asthma muscular dystrophy and had the mental capacity of a seven-year-old due to brain damage she suffered as the result of her premature birth after reading troubling Facebook posts earlier in the evening concerned neighbors notified the police reporting that Dee Dee might have fallen victim to foul play and that Gypsy Rose, whose wheelchair and medications were still in the house, might have been abducted. The following day, police found Gypsy Rose in Wisconsin, where she had traveled with her boyfriend, Nicholas Godijohn, whom she had met online. When investigators announced that she was actually an adult and was not suffering from any of the physical and mental issues which her mother claimed she had, public outrage over the possible abduction of a severely disabled girl gave way to shock and some sympathy for Gypsy Rose. Further investigations found that some of the doctors who had examined Gypsy Rose had found no evidence of claimed disorders. One physician suspected that Dee Dee suffered from Munchausen syndrome by proxy, um, which is a medical condition that causes a parent or a caretaker to exaggerate, fabricate, or induce illness in a person under their care to obtain, to obtain sympathy or attention. Dee Dee had slightly changed her name after her family, who suspected that she had poisoned her stepmother, confronted her about how she was treating Gypsy Rose. Nonetheless, many people accepted her situation as true, and the two benefited from the efforts of charities such as Children's Mercy Hospital, Habitat for Humanity, Ronald McDonald House, and the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Dee Dee had been making her daughter pass herself off as younger and pretend to be disabled and chronically ill, subjecting her to unnecessary surgeries and medication, and controlling her through physical and psychological abuse. Dr. Mark Feldman, an international expert in factitious disorders, stated that this was the first case he had experienced in which an abused child killed an abusive parent and I believe that statement he's referring abused by Munchausen uh, by proxy. <laughs> Gypsy Rhodes pled guilty to second-degree murder and is serving a 10-year sentence after a brief trial in November uh, 2018. Go to John was convicted of first-degree murder 
and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Um, so, Dee Dee Blanchard, her birth name was Claudine Petrie, and she was born in Check Bay, Louisiana, near the Gulf Coast in 1967, and she grew up with her family in nearby Golden Meadow. She was one of five children of Claude Petrie and Emma Gisclair. Relatives recall that she had a habit of stealing from her family, which they speculated was a form of retaliation when things didn't go her way. At some point early in her life, she worked as a nurse's aide, and the family expects expressed suspicion that in 1997 she might have killed her own mother by denying her food. When she was 24, she became pregnant by Ron, Rod Blanchard, who was then 17, which that right there is kind of funny. And I mean funny as in shady, maybe, um, because of the age difference. Uh, I guess it depends on where you live and what the laws are, but there was a, a significant age difference between Dee Dee and Rod, and um, here's my opinion. If if the roles were reversed, if she was 17 and he was 24, there might have been some legal issues. We'll just put it that way because of the age difference. But that is beside the point and not completely relevant to the story. <clears throat> but it gives you a little insight into maybe she's kind of a bit of a predator. They named their daughter Gypsy Rose because Claudine liked the name Gypsy and Rod was a fan of Guns N' Roses. Um, shortly before Gypsy Rose's birth in July 1991, the couple separated when Rod realized that he got married for the wrong reasons. So he resisted Claudine's efforts to get him to return, and she took her newborn daughter to live with her family. According to Rod, who remains involved with his daughter at this point, by the time Gypsy was three years old, her mother was convinced that the infant suffered from sleep apnea and began taking her to the hospital where repeated overnight stays with a sleep monitor and other tests found no sign of the condition. Claudine subsequently became convinced that Gypsy had a wide range of health issues, which she attributed to an unspecified chromosomal disorder. At some point, her mother claimed that Gypsy had muscular dystrophy and made her use a walker. Gypsy stated that when she was seven or eight, she was riding on her grandfather's motorcycle when they were involved in a minor accident. She suffered a, a skin knee, and her mother stated that the doctors had given her a wheelchair, which she needed to use. Gypsy often went with her parents to Special Olympic events, and in 2001, when Dee Dee claimed Gypsy was 8 and she was actually 10, she was named Honorary Queen of the Crew of Mid-City, a child-oriented parade held during the Mardi Gras in New Orleans. Gypsy seemed to have going, stopped going to school after second grade and maybe even as early as kindergarten her mother homeschooled her after that supposedly because her illnesses were so severe um, that's also kind of questionable as well it's not I'm not so sure that uh, Claudine did a really great job homeschooling Gypsy and I'm not sure how that was monitored by the Department of Education because um, I do believe that you have to report milestones um, but if she's claiming that Gypsy has a diminished mental capacity she may have been able to get away with it not doing her obligations as a homeschooling parent anyway Gypsy states that she managed to learn to read on her own through reading the Harry Potter books 
Well, Gypsy's father, Rod, had remarried. Claudine moved in with her father and her stepmother. They would later claim that Claudine, when preparing food for her stepmother, poisoned it with Roundup weed killer, leading to her own chronic illnesses during that period. During that time, she was arrested for several minor, minor offenses, including writing bad checks. Uh, when the Petries began to regularly confront her about her treatment of Gypsy and express suspicion about her role in her stepmother's health, she left with Gypsy for Slidell. Her stepmother's health returned to normal shortly thereafter. Ding, 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 clue, clues, clues. Um, in Slidell, she and Gypsy lived in public housing and they paid for their bills with Rod's child support payments and public assistance Claudine had been granted due to, due to her daughter's supposed medical conditions. They spent most of their time visiting various specialty, specialists, mostly at Tulane Medical Center and the Children's Hospital of New Orleans, seeking medical treatment of the illnesses Gyp, uh, Claudine claimed Gypsy suffered from, which she now said included hearing and vision problems. While a muscle, muscle biopsy found no sign of the muscular dystrophy Claudine insisted Gypsy had, she was successful in securing treatment for her daughter's other purported issues. After she told doctors Gypsy had seizures every few months, they prescribed anti-seizure medication. Several surgeries were performed on her during this time, and Claudine regularly took Gypsy to the emergency room for minor ailments. After Hurricane Katrina devastated the area in 2005, Claudine and Gypsy left their ruined apartment for a shelter in Covington set up for individuals with special needs. Claudine said Gypsy's medical records, including her birth certificate, had been destroyed in the flood. Uh, a doctor there from, from the Ozarks suggested that they relocate to her native Missouri, and the next month they were airlifted there. At first, Claudine and Gypsy lived in a rented home in Aurora in the southwestern area of the state. During their time there, Gypsy was honored by the Olay Foundation, which advocates, which advocates for the rights of feeding tube recipients as its 2007 Child of the Year. In 2008, Habitat for Humanity built them a small home with a wheelchair ramp and a hot tub as part of a larger project in the north side of Springfield to the east, and they moved there. The story of a single mother with a severely disabled daughter forced to flee Katrina's devastation received considerable local media attention, and the community often pitched in to help the woman who now went by Claudinia Blanchard and whom they knew as Dee Dee. The outpouring of support included many charitable contributions. In Louisiana, mother and daughter had the most availed uh, had at most availed themselves of occasional stays at the Ronald McDonald houses during medical appointments. In Missouri, they received free flights to see doctors at Children's Mercy Hospital in Kansas City, free trips to Walt Disney World, and backstage passes to Miranda Lambert concerts, where she frequently auto photographed with the singer. Oh my goodness, sorry about all that. She was where she was frequently photographed with the singer via the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Rod Blanchard also continued to make monthly child support payments of $1,200 a month, as well as sending Gypsy gifts and occasionally talking to her on the phone. During one call on her 18th birthday, he recalls that Dee Dee told him not to mention her daughter's real age since she thinks she's 14. Rod and his second wife regularly hoped to get to Springfield and visit, but for a variety of reasons, Dee Dee would change plans. She told her neighbors in Springfield that Gypsy Rose's father was an abusive drug addict 
and an alcoholic who never came to terms with his daughter's health issues and never sent them any money. Many people who met Gypsy were charmed by her. Her five-foot height and nearly toothless mouth, large glasses, and high childlike voice reinforced the perception that she had all the problems her mother said she did. She often wore wigs or hats to cover her baldness, um, which Dee Dee regularly shaved Gypsy's head to mimic the hairless appearance of a chemotherapy patient, allegedly telling Gypsy that since her medication would eventually cause her hair to fall out, it was best to just shave it in advance. When they left the house, Dee Dee often took an oxygen tank and feeding tube with them. Gypsy was fed with children's liquid nutrition supplements, such as Pediasure, well into her 20s. Dee Dee used physical abuse to control her daughter, always holding her daughter's hands in the presence of others. Whenever Gypsy said something that either suggested that she was not genuinely sick or se- seemed above her purported mental capacities, Gypsy recalls that her mother would give her a very tight squeeze. When the two were alone, Dee Dee would strike her with open hands or a coat hanger. Medical interventions continued. Dee Dee had some of Gypsy's saliva glands treated with Botox and then extracted altogether to control her drooling, which Gypsy later claimed her mother had induced by using a topical anesthesia to numb her gums before doctors of it. So that's like um, Origel. The lack of salivary glands coupled with side effects, effects of the anti-seizure medication which she was given caused Gypsy's teeth to decay to the point that the majority of her front teeth were extracted and replaced by a bridge. Tubes were implanted in her ears to to control her myriad of purported ear infections. Uh, Now, Bernardo Flasterstein, a pediatric neurologist who saw Gypsy in Springfield, became suspicious of her muscular dystrophy diagnosis. He ordered MRIs and blood tests, which found no abnormalities. I don't see any reason why she doesn't walk, he told Dee Dee on a follow-up visit after seeing Gypsy stand and support her own weight. Flasher C. noted that Dee Dee was not a good historian. After contacting Gypsy's doctors in New Orleans, he learned that Gypsy's original muscle biopsy had come back negative, undermining Dee Dee's self-reported diagnosis of muscular dystrophy, as well as her claim that all Gypsy's records had been destroyed by flooding. There's a flag! He suspected the possibility of Munchausen syndrome by proxy. Dee Dee contrived to gain access to Flasherstein's notes and subsequently stopped taking Gypsy to see him. Flag, 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 flag. Flasherstein did not follow up by reporting Dee Dee to social services. He said he had been told by other doctors to treat the pair with golden gloves and doubted the authorities would believe him anyway. Oh my God. In 2009, an anonymous caller told the police about Dee Dee's use of different names and birth dates for herself and her daughter and suggested that Gypsy was in, a better, in better health than claimed. Officers who performed the resulting wellness check accepted Dee Dee's explanation that she had used the misinformation to make it harder for her abusive ex-husband, drug addict, alcoholic, deadbeat father to find her and Gypsy without talking to her. To Rod and reported that Gypsy seemed to be genuinely mentally handicapped and the file was closed. So let me interject something here. An anonymous person can make a call and say that they suspect uh, some fraudulent documents and that maybe D, uh, Gypsy's not as 
ill and they just go and they take a look and you know Dee Dee's able to BS her way through that but if a medical professional feels that he should treat them with golden gloves and his colleagues no less and doubted that the authorities would believe him anyway mm-hmm. okay well there's an, a failure right there all right let's go on Dee Dee seems to have had at least one forged copy of her daughter's birth certificate moving her birth date to 1995 to bolster her claims that she was still a teenager gypsy said in a later interview that for 15 years she was not sure of her real age she also claimed that the original had been destroyed during post-katrina flooding Dee Dee did not keep another copy with gypsy's actual birth date her daughter recalls seeing it in one of their their hospital visits and becoming confused and Dee Dee told her that it was a misprint now here's another thing that never comes out but you know there's a bureau of vital records they have everybody's records it's not even in the gulf coast area i believe it's close to washington dc so when you go online if you need to order a copy of your birth certificate it is registered it's a, it's registered in a national database anyway i'm just saying since 2001 gypsy had attended science fiction and fantasy conventions sometimes in costume since she would could blend in even in her wheelchair at an event in 2011 she made what may have been another escaped attempt that ended with her mother found her in a hotel room with a man that she met online again Dee Dee produced the paperwork giving gypsy's false younger birth age and threatened to inform the police gypsy recalls that afterward Dee, Dee smashed her computer with a hammer and threatened to do the same to her fingers if she ever tried to escape again. She also kept Gypsy leashed and handcuffed to the bed for two weeks. Dee Dee later told Gypsy that she had filled paperwork with the police claiming that Gypsy was mentally incompetent, leading Gypsy to believe that if she attempted to go to the police for help, they would not believe her. Sometime around 2012, Gypsy, who continued to use the internet after her mother had gone to bed to avoid her tightening supervision, made contact online with Nicholas Godijan, a man around her age from Big Ben, Wisconsin. Um, they met on an online singles group. Go to John had some issues of his own, a criminal record for indecent exposure, and a history of mental illness, sometime, um, sometimes reported a dissociative identity disorder, and he also had Asperger's syndrome. In 2014, Gypsy confirmed to Alea Woodmancy, um, who was her neighbor, 23, um, who was unaware that Gypsy was that close to her age, considered herself a big sister, that she and Go to John had been discussing eloping and had even chosen names for potential children. Gypsy, who had five separate Facebook accounts, and Go to John flirted online their exchanges, sometimes using BDSM elements, which Gypsy has since claimed was more that he was as interested in than her. And when Mancy tried to talk her out of it, still thinking that Gypsy was too young and possibly being taken advantage of by an online sexual predator. She thought that Gypsy's plans were just fantasies and dreams and nothing like this would ever really take place. Despite Dee Dee's efforts to prevent her from using the internet, which went as far as destroying her daughter's phone and laptop, Gypsy maintained contact with Godijan, who saved printouts of her posts until 2014. 
The next year, Gypsy arranged and paid for Godijan to meet her mother in Springfield. Her plan was for him to just kind of bump into them while she and Dee Dee were at the movie theater, both of them in costume, and apparently strike up a relationship that way, then for her to introduce him to her mother. As soon as they did meet in person for the first time, Godijan says Gypsy led him to the bathroom where the two had sex, and the two continued their internet interactions and began developing their plan to kill Dee Dee. Also, I do want to note that um, Dee Dee thought that it was ridiculous that uh, a man his age would come to that type of a movie by himself, and she thought he was a little bit of a creep. Um, so after their encounter at the movie theater, Godijan returned to Springfield in June 2015, arriving while Gypsy and her mother were away. I'm sorry, I, I said that confusing. After the encounter in the movie theater, he went back home to Wisconsin, and then he came back to Springfield in June 2015 while Gypsy and her mother were away at a doctor's appointment. After they returned home and Dee Dee had gone to bed, he went to Blanchard's house, and Gypsy allowed him in and allegedly gave him duct tape and gloves and a knife with the understanding that he would use it to murder Dee Dee. Gypsy hid in the bathroom and covered her ears so she could not she would not have to hear her mother screaming. Go to John then stabbed Dee Dee 17 times in her back while she was sleeping. Um, now the two had sex in Gypsy's bedroom and uh, I heard in an interview that the reason why they why they did this or why Gypsy allowed him to do this is that he had wanted to rape uh, Dee Dee and Gypsy didn't want him to do that so she told him that he could rape her so there's some confusion I'll say for lack of a better word between his opinion of what happened on that particular day between him and Gypsy and what Gypsy says Gypsy considers it as a non-consensual because of the agreement he made she made with him so that he wouldn't do that to his mother but he thinks that it was consensual but anyway that's beside the point they 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 did have sex and they took $4,000 in cash that Dee Dee had been keeping in the house, mostly from her ex-husband's child support checks. They fled to a motel outside of Springfield where they stayed for a few days while planning their next move. During that time, they were seen on security cameras at several local stores. Gypsy said at that point she believed that the two had managed to get away with their crime. They, this is so naive. They, they mailed the murder weapon back to go to John's home in Wisconsin to avoid being caught with it and then took the bus there. Uh, several witnesses saw the pair on their way to the Greyhound station and noted that Gypsy wore a blonde wig and walked unassisted. The thing that I think is naive, and I, you'll probably agree with me on this, is that they, they knew they couldn't have the murder weapon on them, but they just mailed it to where they were going instead of trying to find some way of disposing of it. Not that I condone what they've done. I'm just saying we had two people that lived very, I don't know, they have problems and they just really, this wasn't their forte. They shouldn't have been doing this. After seeing a concerning Facebook post from Dee Dee's account, the Blanchard's friends suspected something wasn't right. And then the phone calls went unanswered and several of them went to the house. And while they knew that Gypsy and her mother frequently went or often left went on medical trips unannounced, they saw that Dee Dee's Nissan Cube, um, which was modified to hold Gypsy's wheelchair, was still in the driveway, making that an unlikely explanation. 
there was protective film on the windows, and that made it hard to see inside the low light, and no one answered the door, so they called 911. When the police arrived, they had to wait for a search warrant to be issued before they could go in into the house, but they did allow one of the neighbors to climb through the window, and what he saw inside the house was largely undisturbed and that all of Gypsy's wheelchairs were still present. And I'm assuming that he must have been able to go in just to kind of see but wasn't allowed to walk freely through the house. So anyway, when the search warrant was issued, the police entered the house and they soon found Dee Dee's body. A GoFundMe account was set up to pay for her funeral, funeral expenses and possibly Gypsy's. All who knew the Blanchards feared the worst, even if Gypsy had not been harmed. They believed that she would be helpless without her wheelchair, medications, and support equipment like the oxygen tanks and the feeding tube. Woodman C., who was among those gathered at the Blanchard's house, told the police that she knew about Gypsy and her secret online boyfriend. She showed him the printouts she had saved, which included his name, and based on that information, police asked Facebook to trace the IP address from which the post to Dee Dee's account had been made, and it turned out to be in Wisconsin. How about that? The next day, police agencies in um, Wisconsin raided the Go-To-John's Big Bend home. Both he and Gypsy surrendered and were taken into custody on charges of murder and felony armed criminal action. News that Gypsy was safe and was was greeted with relief back in Springfield where she and Godajan were soon extradited and held on one million dollars bond. But in announcing the news, Green County Sheriff Jim Arnott warned things are not always what they appear. The media in Springfield soon reported the truth of the Blanchard's lives, that Gypsy had never been sick and had always been able to walk, but her mother had made her pretend otherwise using physical abuse to control her. Arnott urged people not to donate any money to the family until investigators learned the extent of the fraud. After the disclosure of how Dee Dee had treated Gypsy all those years, sympathy for her as the victim of a violent murder rapidly shifted to her daughter as a long-term victim of child abuse. While the charge of first-degree murder can carry the death penalty under Missouri law or life without parole, county prosecutor Dan Patterson soon announced that he would not seek it for either Gypsy or go to John, calling the case extraordinary and unusual. After her attorney obtained her medical records from Louisiana, he secured a plea bargain to second-degree murder for Gypsy, um, who was so undernourished that during the years she was in the county jail, she gained 14 pounds in contrast to most of his clients who lose weight in that situation. In July 2015, she accepted the plea bargain agreement and was sentenced to 10 years in prison. Go to John still faced the more severe charge because prosecutors contended that he initiated the murder plot and both he and Gypsy agreed that he would be the one who did the actual killing of Dee Dee. Her plea bargain agreement did not require her to testify against him. In January 2017, his trial was postponed when prosecutors requested a second psychiatric exam. His lawyers contended that he has an intelligent quotient of 82% and is on the autism spectrum, suggesting that he has a diminished capacity. He's initially waived his right to a trial by jury, but changed his mind in June of that year. December of 2017, the judge set 
go to John's trial for November 2018, and in their opening statement, prosecutors allege that Gota John had deliberately for over a year before the crime, while his lawyers pointed to his autism, and said that Gypsy had formulated the crime and their love-struck client had just done as she had asked. The next day, prosecutors showed jurors to text messages, sometimes sexually explicit, that Gota John and Gypsy shared in the week before the murder often using various personas as well as the knife which he used to commit the murder. In some of the texts, he asked her for details about Dee Dee's bedroom and her sleeping habits. These were supplemented by video of his interview with the police after his arrest where he admitted to having killed her. Gypsy testified on the trial's third day, and she said that while she was in, had indeed suggested to go to John that he killed Dee Dee to end her mother's abuse, she also considered getting pregnant by him in the hope that once he was carrying Gota John's child, Dee Dee would have to accept him. Along with the knife that she eventually gave to Gota John, she stole baby clothes from Walmart during a shopping trip so that she could go ahead with either plan. However, she said Gota John never told her what he thought about the pregnancy plan. After four days, the case, uh, the case was sent to the jury, and the jurors had the option of finding Gota John not guilty or guilty of one of three murder charges involuntary manslaughter, second-degree murder, or first-degree murder. After approximately two hours of deliberation, they returned with the verdict, and Godijan was found guilty of first-degree murder and armed criminal action. In February of 2019, he was sentenced to life in prison for the murder conviction, the only possible option since prosecutors had declined to seek the, the death penalty. Godijan asked Judge David Jones for leniency on the armed criminal action charge, which carries a minimum sentence of only three years, saying that he had fallen blindly in love with Gypsy. He received a sentence of 25 years on that charge, which is concurrent with the life sentence. Jones also denied a motion by Gota John's lawyer, Dwayne Perry, for a new trial. Perry argued that the jury should not have been allowed to hear that Gota John had considered raping Dee Dee on the night of the murder. He also argued that the state psychologist should not have been allowed to testify while Gota John's psychologist should have been to establish that he could dem had diminished capacity. The judge, in denying the motion, conceded that an appeals court could find the latter point significant and consider it a reversible error. That seems kind of crappy to me, but anyway, I have more to say on that in a few minutes. So... As far as the community goes, of course, we know that the neighbors were shocked to learn that Gypsy's illnesses were fabricated. Um, Aaliyah Woodmancy, whose information about Gypsy's relationship with Gota John led the police to the couple the day after Dee Dee's body was discovered, said that she had cried out of disbelief upon hearing that Gypsy had never been sick or disabled. Her mother recalled how everyone had accepted Dee Dee's claims without asking for proof and wondered if the mother and daughter had been secretly laughing at the neighbor's naivety. Kim Blanchard, who's not related to Dee Dee Blanchard, um, and who had called the sheriff, the deputy sheriff, to the house the night before, said, "What have I been believing? How could I have been so stupid?" Over 60 people attended a candlelight vigil for Dee Dee in downtown Springfield the night that her body was found. In a news conference, Sheriff Arnott said of the case, Springfield is a giving community. We surround people with love and finances that we believe that needs it. However, a lot of times we are deceived, and I think this is now so true in the case at hand. Only one of the charities that 
had helped the Blanchard spoke after the revelations. It was a spokesperson for Habitat for Humanity whose volunteers had helped build the Blanchard's house along with others on the street said, we are really deeply saddened by the whole situation. Um, so Gypsy, there's a lot of interviews with Gypsy uh, after she um, after she took her plea and was sentenced. And one of the things that she had said is that, and this is a quote, I feel like I'm more free in prison than living with my mom because now I'm allowed to just live like a normal woman. She um, also said that she thinks that her mother would have been a perfect mother for someone who had actually been sick. Um, so... Now, since we since she's been sent to prison, she doesn't speak to John, uh, go to John anymore. Nicholas, go to John. She she's moved on from him. But from what I have seen um, with interviews with him, well, let me talk about him first. So, if you go on YouTube, there are the interviews um, prior to their arrest or during the arrest of both of them, and. When you listen to Nicholas go to John, not from a legal perspective, but just a, a person listening to another person talk, knowing what he's saying isn't good, but also knowing what you know, that he really was love-struck, I think, and knowing that he has autism and some other mental problems, and just the way that he presents himself, you can tell that there's... It's so weird to say that there's an innocence because what he did was totally horrible. But it was almost like a fantasy thing for him. And they were caught up in a lot of fantasies. And I think, um, this is my opinion, I'm not a clinician, but just what I know about the story and what I've seen with the interviews, um, you know, he liked to do role playing. That's fantasy. And... I think there were other things that he might have had trouble distinguishing reality from fantasy or thinking that things that you see on TV and movies and and not being able to rationalize in his mind that in, in real life, things don't always happen that way. Because um, I think he kind of, even though he had this dark Victor vampire persona, um, I think he really did want to be the knight in shining armor coming on a white horse to save Gypsy. I, I really do believe that he wanted to do that. And I don't think that he had enough um, of the mental capacity to do it in a way that would have been safer for everybody. I mean, if you think about it, he knew, he knew that Gypsy was trapped. And if it was somebody like you and me who was learning this, we could have called the police and, you know, sent them there to look and check on her. And, you know, there was just other things that he could have done. But he, he had trouble keeping a job. You know, he didn't have his own, at least not a decent amount of money. Gypsy didn't either, but I think she was stealing it from her mother. But, you know, he just, he's a sad, a 
his story is sad. We focus on Gypsy a lot and he kind of gets forgotten a little bit or he's like a side note in the story and I feel bad for him. I really, really do. Um, I just, I feel really bad for him. Not to diminish what happened to Gypsy. What happened to Gypsy, and I'm going to talk more about that in a minute. It was truly horrible. Um, Nicholas may have had a more shelter, uh, not more sheltered, but a more stable family life um, than Gypsy. But he still had problems. And I just feel like he's a little bit of a victim too. Just by fact of he's just not as um, capable as most of us are. So I feel bad for him. I don't really have the answer for him. I'm glad that they didn't put him to death, but I feel like knowing what I know about him and having him in prison, I think he's still vulnerable, to be honest with you. That's how I feel about it. I think he's still vulnerable in, in prison, and I'm afraid for what will happen to him there. That's, that's kind of what I feel about that. Now, Gypsy. Gypsy. So we said she moved on. She's not thinking about Nicholas anymore. And she's supposed to be engaged now at the time that I'm recording this. She's supposed to be engaged. I don't know who she's engaged to. My personal feeling is, and this is just my opinion, different people think differently. And I understand that, but this is my opinion. Gypsy's never been able to live as an adult in the real world. Um, and yet, I know she wants to be an adult. And of course, we want to be loved. You know, so her feelings are natural and normal. I'm not disputing her feelings. But I think just on a day-to-day basis, or, you know, on regular relationship things, Gypsy hasn't had a chance to really get her feet wet as an adult in the, in the, in the rest of the world outside of her two prisons, I'll say. Prison with Dee Dee and prison in the penal system. She really has not been out and tried to get a job, tried to get a driver's license, go to the store and buy something other than, you know, the stealing and things that she did with her mother. She really hasn't had a lot of exposure on her own to what life is like as an adult. Which brings me to point two. And she's she's eligible for parole in 24. uh, 2024 and she's only got a 10 year sentence so that's a very light sentence considering the nature of the crime and I'm not saying that I agree or disagree um, because I don't really know this this was a tough case to make those kind of decisions and thankfully I'm not the person that had to make those decisions I don't think she should have gotten life I kind of don't think she should have been in prison not that she should have been running free either. I kind of feel that way for both of these people. But from what I understand about our penal system, there's not a lot of resources for getting help as far as counseling. And if you listen to anybody who's been in prison or had experience with family that's been in prison, you know that our penal system here in the United States sucks, okay? There's, that's the best way to put it. It is exactly that. It is a penal system. It is not a rehabilitation system. It is a penal system. And so while Gypsy may feel freer while she's in jail or in prison than she did with Dee Dee because she can eat and she can do things with her body by her own choice for the most part other than walking around on the street, um, 
she's not free. I, I really, I, I have serious doubts that she's getting kind of any kind of therapy or counseling that she may need, not just for the um, abuse that she went through, but the, also the isolation. Gypsy was very, very isolated, and we know that isolation is one of the main tools that abusive people use. Um, so, she, you know, she's, she's got a long way to go when she gets out, and I'm just afraid that um, the things that she learned from her mom as far as manipulation, and there was a lot of things that I didn't even go into as far as the history, just, you know, manipulation and theft and ways of getting around the system and even though Gypsy was a little pawn as far as Dee Dee's plan was believe me Gypsy was also a student and I'm not saying that to be mean I feel so sorry for her she looks like one of my children I mean it's just the real Gypsy looks like one of my daughters a lot so this particular case you know I felt like I was looking at one of my kids when she went into court and gave her testimony but anyway I just think She's learned a lot from Dini, and now she's in the school for criminals, you know, prison. She, so she's going to be learning lots of tips and tricks there about how to be deceptive and so on and so forth. And I, that's why I'm not so sure that prison's the best place for her, but it is what we have to work with here. So my concern for her is, while she's still trying to be a grown-up, and I, you know, I can't fault her for that, I just, I don't think she's really had any good role models. Her father, really, it seems like he stepped up to the plate, and his, his wife, her stepmother, you know, they've really stepped up to the plate as far as being active in her life and kind of picking up where, um, for lack of a better word, where Dee Dee left off, um, you know, at least on TV, that's how it looks. That's the, bit, the way I can say it. So, uh, I really hope, I haven't heard anything about this, but I really, really hope that Nicholas John's lawyers can do something for him to help protect him, first of all, where he is now, but also adjust his, um, his sentencing because I, I think that that's just horrible that that, that judge did that to him, um, he, you know, knowing what they did. And, yes, his psychologist should have been able to testify. I don't know why they wouldn't allow something like that. That just doesn't seem right to me. And I really hope, I, I hope for everyone that um, Gypsy's support system when she gets out is strong enough to help her overcome the obstacles that she's going to have to face again. And then I have one other thing that I just want to throw out there, and that's what I find so interesting, and I kind of relate to it because here I am doing these podcasts, trying to bring awareness to um, the community about domestic violence and child abuse. But Gypsy had also said that she wanted to do something to help other victims who of Munchausen by proxy, which if you listen to my um, podcast on Michelle Knight, and also Don Schiller. These are two other women examples who have taken their, their experiences and want to use it to help people who have gone through the same thing. So maybe that's a phenomenon. I don't know. But I, I think it's good that she wants to do that. I find that, you know, if we can take something that was horrible and turn it around into something 
where we can help somebody else, then that's a good thing, you know. So those are my thoughts on Gypsy. You want to tell me what your thoughts are? You can reach me at isurvivechildhood at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Also, if you have questions or maybe you have a case that you want me to talk about, I really appreciate that. And if you're listening to this on Anchor, did you know that you can leave me a voice message? You sure can. And I, I have a couple of them. I really enjoyed getting those. So, again, I would love to hear from you. Please be safe. And I will talk to you again. Bye-bye.